Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Somebody just talked about a, a boxing. So round two. Round two. <laughs> um, after round two, um, instead of going into a time of discussion, we'll actually just be going into a time of prayer. Um, so same groups. And what I will ask of you guys, though, is to make sure that you don't actually ask for prayer for yourself. Pray for the person next to you and separate as couples so that you're not just praying for your spouse. Pray for somebody else in the class. You can pray for your spouse now and whenever you want. <laughs> All right? So don't sit next to your spouse when you get into the prayer circle so, that it, so the person praying for you is somebody that you're not married to, even if you're not married. All right, so session two, the purpose of marriage. So we talked about unity. We talked about the image of God represented in the male and the female coming together, themselves creating an image. But now we're going to get into more detail. Well, what kind of image actually is this? What is supposed to be the full picture there's this friend of mine at work. His name is Sean. He's a really, really nice guy. Um, and he and I got into a discussion um, about, I don't know, about six months ago. And he was talking about his, his girlfriend and the idea of, of marriage came up. And uh, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, and somehow we got into like, you know, whether that they were going to go to a... Uh, uh, like a marriage counselor or anything like that, or, or somebody to talk to about what that is all about. And he's like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm like, well, do you think maybe it'd be helpful to know, like, what it's all about before, before you get married? And he's like, actually, yeah, probably so. And, we st- and I just started to talk to, about, to him about, about this passage that we're, we're going to get into, which is in um, Ephesians chapter 5. So go ahead and turn there if you want to. And I began to talk to him about, like, well, if you know what the purpose of something is, then you know whether you're doing it right or wrong, right? Like if you jumped into a car, but you had no idea that the purpose of the car was to drive, you'd be like, you might come up with some crazy conclusions, right? Like, wow, this, this small room in a parking lot has a great sound system. And you might just think, hey, let's go hang out in the small room in the parking lot with the sound system. And you're like, you know, for somebody who knows how the car is supposed to function, they'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's so much more that this room in a parking lot can do. And they'd be like, have you ever shifted it? And like, whoa, it moves forward, back, sideways. You know, it can almost jump things. Um, so when you know what the purpose of it is, then you know how to determine whether you're not or you're on the right track. So let's begin, let's get to Ephesians chapter 5, and if you've studied marriage, marriage at all beforehand, you've probably read through this passage many, many times. We'll begin actually with verse 31 in Ephesians, and it's once I turn to it myself here. And you'll probably recognize this verse. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife 
and the two shall become one flesh. Didn't we just read that? Where did we read that? It was quoted in, by Jesus in Matthew 19, and it was also in Genesis chapter 2, right? So now we see it being echoed a number of times through the scriptures. We're in Ephesians 5, verse 31. And then it says this, this is a great mystery, that is that union between uh, a man leaving his father and being joined to his wife. This union is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And we're really going to focus on verse 32. The mystery of the union, the mystery of the two becoming one is not just about, you know, family or marriage, but it's about Christ and the church. Now, the reason why this is so important is because it gives, I think, further depth to understanding the reason and purpose for your individual marriages. So we talked about the idea of unity. We talked about representing the image of God. But now we're talking more specifically about what is your marriage actually supposed to look like? And here we get this great answer. Your marriage is supposed to be a witness. It's not even supposed to be about itself. It's supposed to be representational about something else. What this text is actually teaching us is that as you go out of the doors here, a married couple, you're driving down the street, you're walking into a store, you're with your family, people who see you should, that's the operative word, come to the conclusion that they're seeing Christ in the church. They're seeing a witness of what and who Christ was and is and what the church is supposed to be. Your marriage is supposed to be a witness so that other people can see this amazing thing. You've probably heard it said, sometimes you're the only Bible that people will read. Have you guys heard that statement before? It means, you know, like, obviously, if somebody's not reading the text, that they should see in you a Jesus-like character, a Jesus-like person, and thus they are learning and reading what the Bible looks like when it's walked out. The same thing is true with your marriage. And this is a high calling, but it is a beautiful calling and a very purposeful calling because it calls us all to a kind of higher level and purpose of what this is supposed to be. When you know what your marriage is supposed to look like, now you have an accurate gauge as to what you're aiming for and what the purpose of it is. It's a lot easier, I think, to, to again, take some of those things, those laws, those rules, and things that we will be learning about, the roles of men and women, all this stuff. It's a lot easier to take those things when you realize this is for a greater purpose. And when you have that in your minds, it's a lot easier to make the adjustments. Think about the last time that you walked into a restaurant. And usually, of course, there's families there or couples and just with your mind's eye, just kind of per, per, like remember what that looked like, or remember what it was like, and you, you looked around and you saw people they're usually talking or 
or, uh, you know, laughing together, or maybe they're not laughing together. Maybe they're just staring at each other, you know. Maybe they both have their phones out. Boy, it's really good to go on a date with you. Hey, did you see what that guy did on Facebook? Those are the weirdest dates, right? <laughs> How many couples, and of course this is a, this is a very much a kind of a surface, surface level look at this, but how many couples, if you would survey a restaurant, would you say are, are, are showing you the appearance of Christ in the church? Zero. Zero. Okay, <laughs> leave it to Seb. One. 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 Is, it, is it common or is it rare? Rare. It's rare. And that's, that's sad. That's a, now, obviously, you, know, you guys who are, are married, you guys who are Christians, there will, of course, time, be times where you don't represent this picture well because it's a picture of perfection, you know? In fact, it's interesting that this, this is given to us because we all know that ourselves, as the church, we have a fair amount of failings, right? <laughs> Itself. But nevertheless, he wants our marriages to look like Christ and the church. And we, of course, as the church, are also known in Scripture as the bride of Christ. You guys have probably heard that term. A lot of guys are sometimes not the biggest fans of doing that. What do you mean, I'm the bride of Christ? I'm the husband, you know. It's like, no, of Christ you are the bride. And this breaks down now into the beginnings of what we will begin discussing next time in more detail about the roles of men and women. But we're not going to kind of get into the the nitty-gritty of all that and kind of breaking that down tonight, we're simply going to talk about how this is generally supposed to work to kind of get the ball going in the right direction. And of course, the idea is that Christ and the church are the two roles that are shown in the man and the woman, the male and the female. And the male is supposed to be the Christ figure, and the female is supposed to be the church figure. And immediately, you have this. And a lot of people have a lot of problems when they realize that there's a difference now in roles between Christ and the church. Who is called to lead? Who is called to follow? Who is called to lovingly, sacrificially give? Who is called to submit? And I don't care if you're a a, a female here. I don't care if you're a guy here. I don't care what you thought about this. At some point, it's going to rub you the wrong way, which you end up having to do in order to look like Christ in the church because this is not something you're going to be able to do on your own. You are not going to be able to do this on your own. You're not going to, as a guy, you are not going to be able to lead exactly like Christ does. You will fail. How's that for an encouraging class, huh? <laughs> yeah. That guy said we were going to fail. That's exactly right. Let me say it again. If you're a guy and you're trying to be that Christ figure, you will fail hard. Praise the Lord, right? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Why is he talking about that? Because it's, honestly, it's it's in the failing that you understand what, what the real call is that you understand how hard it is to live sacrificially, that you can't do it on your own. You're going to be like, I can't do this on my own. There you go. Now come to Jesus, and he'll teach you how to do it. And the same is true for you ladies, for the females. 
when, you're, when you read here that you are the church figure and you're supposed to submit, you know, be like, well, this is the most common thing that gets uttered. Like, well, when my husband acts a little bit more like Jesus, I will. It's like, okay, <laughs> if that's going to be your attitude about it, you know. But that's not the point. Because if you're trying to submit to your husband as the church is supposed to submit to Christ, guess what you're going to do? You're going to fail. There's no way you're going to get this right all the time. You can try as hard as you. You can try, Lord, change my heart about this. I, I don't want to do this. Or, yeah, you're going to fail at this. Why? Because you can't do it in your own strength. And guess what? You weren't designed to do it in your own strength. And that's where mercy is, right? There's mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy and more mercy that has to be shown in a marriage because those times of failings will come and you'll have to forgive again. And then you'll have to get back and you try to have to, the guy's going to have to figure out, all right, let me learn how to lead again. And the woman's going to have to say, okay, let me learn how to submit again and all these things. Let's now go through the details of what that looks like beginning in verse 22. So this is the beginning of the passage that leads up to where we were just reading in verse 31. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You mean I have to treat my husband like the Lord? I didn't say it, guys. God said it. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. It doesn't say everything, does it? It says most things, right? When I go to the grocery store, I can do what I want, right? We're in verse 24 of Ephesians 5. I went back and started at verse 22 of Ephesians 5. So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And all the women in the room go, oh, that's crazy. Wait, yeah, wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> now that is a good question to ask in the middle of this class like this. How many pairs of shoes is enough? One. In my version of the Bible. In your version of the Bible. It's 237, right? Yeah. yeah. So didn't Jesus say something about that like seven times 70? Yeah, that has to do with forgiveness, not shoes. Oh. Okay, now the, the wives had their, 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 uh, their verses given to them, all right? And guys, by the way, that's, that's going to be constantly your homework in this class, and that's going to be your homework for life. So let it wash over you. Even if, it's, even if it chafes against you, let it wash over you, right? Now, husbands, verse 25. And, and now the wives are like, finally. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, 
not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now that is a fascinating verse. We're not going to dig into it too much tonight. But it's showing you that the, the reflection of you loving your wife is actually has a lot to do with you caring for yourself, actually. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And then we get into verse 31 again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, husbands, how did Christ love the church? On the cross. So, you know, I love pointing this out for women and men, because we all got our things, right? Guys have to deal with that. Our call is to death. That doesn't make the submitting thing quite as bad, right? Come on. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just pointing it out, right? But that's the call on, on men. That's the call on a husband. You want this thing to work? You want to know what Christ in the church looks like? You want your marriage to go well? You having struggles? You having problems there? You getting into some tiffs? You're wishing she would do some more stuff? You're wishing you had more time to go golf? Whatever it is. Jesus is not interested in that. He says you have to sacrifice yourself to love her. And I love what it says here about presenting her to himself in verse 27. The goal of that is that the wife, the church, would be holy and blameless. That's why Jesus did that, to make the church pure and spotless, and that's supposed to be our goal, is to help our wives to be pure and spotless and holy. Now, how do you take such a clear thing, right? I mean, this is just a couple sentences, and these kind of sentences will revolutionize a marriage. It's not, it's not many sentences at all, is it? Verse 22 through 29. That's not a lot of words. It took me about a minute and a half to read. Why is there so much pushback on these words? It's not the word shellfish. It's the word selfish. You know, earlier today I was, um, I was at my workplace and someone put up outside their, their work door <clears throat> a picture of uh, a baby in utero, like, you know, before it's born. And, uh, and the obvious thing was they were saying, hey, we're, he, he and his wife were pregnant, they're expecting a baby, and it's like, that's so, that's so awesome, that's so, that's so wonderful. But I, I had this weird second thought, which was that nobody ever put up a picture of an abortion. 
Guys, you know, abortion, if you want to put one word on abortion, and, and I don't mean to just get all political here, but it's selfishness that leads to that most of the time. Selfishness, if you let selfishness have its way in you, it will lead to your destruction. It won't lead to your fulfillment. It won't lead to your happiness. It won't lead to anything that is good. And these verses are exactly the prescription that we all need to fight against this deadly sin that we have in our culture, in ourselves, in our media, in almost everything. The you-deserve-it culture is not this. But the beautiful thing is, is that when you choose and make a decision, going back to that whole Deuteronomy passage, oh, these, these things are for our good. When you're convinced of that, and the verses come that tell you, you need to put that part of you aside. That part of you must end. Then you can be sure about one wonderful thing is that this. Jesus never leads us down paths and, and gives us prescriptions for marriage or for anything else that isn't also going to have a wonderful, wonderful amount of blessings that come with it. Because what comes with living this kind of life as a husband or a wife is power, self-control, peace, wisdom, love, all the things that you probably wanted on that list of the expectations before you even knew what you were getting into. And that's the thing that has to be taught about Christ so often, especially into the world, is like, look, you're not getting the peace and the power and the strength that you wanted this other way. How about you try something else? Have you tried this? Because this one, this one works. Do you remember those times maybe when you were first a Christian? I remember when I was first a Christian and I had certain experiences that were like astounding to me because I couldn't believe how wonderful they were. I remember mentioning this a, a, a time or two ago. I forget exactly when, but I remember I, I started um, volunteering at a homeless shelter in Akron, Ohio. Um, I just felt like I needed to do something with myself that was not about me, basically. I was like, I was gung-ho on this Jesus thing. And I, I still am, but nevertheless, that's where I was. And I remember one night I left after... Um, after serving there, and I did this, this most simple things. I helped, I helped guys put their stuff away while they went, they had to go take showers and then get in the, the room that had all their bunks where they all slept that night. Um, and, and I left and I went into the parking lot and I had so much joy. I had so much joy. I was like, why am I happy? I didn't get it. I was like, why am, I, why am I the happy one here in my car when, like, how does that work? And it's like, welcome to Jesus math, Jeff, you know? This is how it works. You lay your life down 
And guess what you get? Joy. Freedom. All the stuff that everything else told you you were going to get the other way, it's the opposite. And you just begin to learn step by step. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. That's where the joy and the peace and all those things are found. And that's exactly what this is too. And again, the whole point of this, this passage, and again, I'm not going to get into every single minutia. We'll, we'll, we'll get into the roles of men and women beginning next week, as well as some of the pitfalls. But the whole point of this is, if you can't have a unified idea about this is what our marriage is for, like if you can go home later tonight or sometime, have some kind of discussion together, is our marriage really about Christ and the church? Well, then if not, then we need to make that the priority and the purpose. We need to just write down on a piece of paper, Lord, this is your marriage. We want to look like Christ in the church and then be like, okay, and now let's submit it before the Lord in prayer and just start there. And then, okay, how do we now get this thing going? How do we start the engine so that our marriage actually is, when somebody looks at us in the restaurant, when we're walking out there and we're, we're driving along or we're, we're functioning, how is it that we can look in such a way that we are actually going to be the witness of Christ in the church? That's the goal. Let's aim for the goal. Let's stop aiming for something that's not the goal. How do we do that? Okay, men, you have to begin to learn to lead sacrificially. That's how you get the ball rolling in the right direction. And then women, you have to learn how to submit to that leadership. And it becomes the way for the ball to actually roll. What so often happens is people are like, okay, it says that. And so think of it as like the, 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 the man is here, the wife is here, and they're both waiting for the other one to make the first move. Who's going to go first, you know? It's like, thankfully, like with chess, like it's like there's one color that always has to move first. Now, this is not in the Bible, but I will submit to you, guys, if this is about leadership, guess who probably needs to go first? You. And I'm not saying women should wait to, to, to submit to their husbands or to learn what that even means, which we'll get into. But guys, someone's got to go and begin to, okay, I'll lay down my life tonight. And slowly the ball can start turning in the right direction. And the woman can say, all right, I see that. I'll follow that leadership. And that's what it's really all about. It's not about, it's not about someone having more power over somebody else, which is just silliness. If you read the full text, there's no way you could come to that conclusion unless you only read half of it. It's not about someone being put down or having their foot on them. It's not somebody having uh, you know, all the power in the relationship, the other person has none. None of that. That's just silliness. How do you get the ball rolling in the right direction? And for men, that means you're going to have to take the step forward of death. And women, you're going to have to take the step backwards of dying to yourself. And slowly but surely, we take this word selfishness and 
you follow Ephesians 5, I was going to make a joke and be like, and then you just end up with fish, but you just, just get rid of the word. Have you ever met a couple that didn't display selfishness? <laughs> no, people are afraid to answer. They're like, well, if I tell her, then they're going to be like, well, why aren't you more like that, right? No selfishness. How, would, you like to, would you like to meet a couple that has no selfishness? Imagine in your mind's eye, what, what would that look like? Would it look like heaven or hell? It would look like heaven. Why? Because it would look like the whole point of the process. It would look like Christ for the man and the church for the woman. Keep your eyes up. And if you don't quite have the ball rolling, consider this night like, let's just break down some walls. Let's bust up some concrete. Let's get down to the studs. That's the whole point of understanding the origins of things. This is why I like getting down and get back to the beginnings. You know, almost every um, uh, generation that has some kind of revival in it, almost every time where there's a change or revolution in, in, in as far as the Jesus way in a country or in a community or in a town, it's usually because they go back to the Bible. They call it the back to the Bible. Whatever denomination it is, it doesn't even matter. It's, are they going back to the Bible to understand, okay, what's this all about? What does God actually say? And if you begin to follow it, the same thing holds with marriage. If you really want to understand what it's all about, how the thing is supposed to work and stay out of the pitfalls and get out of the problems that are constantly besetting you or driving you crazy, <laughs> then get back to the Bible. So you have all have your homework. And the homework is to bust up all the walls that are not the things the Lord has commanded you to do. Right? So... Let's end in prayer, and then we'll go to our separate groups. And again, don't sit next to your spouse. And what I would suggest to you is offer a prayer that whoever you're sitting next to, whoever you're praying for, that, they would, you, that the Lord would help them to fulfill these beautiful things in their relationship. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you gave us a goal the goal of looking like Christ and the church in marriage. And I pray for myself, Lord. I pray for my wife. I pray for these gathered here, these couples, these who are interested in, in, in learning about what this is all about. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to have the goal of Christ and the church in their marriage and help them to begin taking those steps for the men and for the women to do exactly what your word has asked them to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.